doing things that are aligned for you with who you are and what you want and doing them scared builds courage. It builds confidence, which is so key. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Oh High Self. That totally reminds me, Chris and I have this doormat outside of our house that says, oh, hello, which I love. It's kind of like the house and the hosts are just always pleasantly surprised to see you, which is basically how I feel. I'm always sort of surprised and excited that you're here and that I'm here. I really appreciate you. And I don't take it for granted that you're investing your time here, not just for supporting me, but also as a gift to yourself. I'm just, I'm super pumped anytime anyone is investing in their own personal development time, money, resources, intention, whatever it is. And I'm super pumped if my message is resonating and if I can be of service. So thanks for that. I also hope that the show is becoming like your personal library and guide to all things personal development and lifestyle design, because I really truly believe that it's so possible to heal our relationships with ourselves. That doesn't mean it's easy, but I believe it's possible. And that from that more healed and grounded and authentic place, that we can be actively designing and manifesting our dream lives, like creating our realities actually on purpose rather than by default. I'm your host, Sandra Possing. I like to mix these up each episode, so I try not to do just a canned thing because I think it's more fun that way. I am a coach and a mentor to high-achieving, ambitious types of humans who they want to love themselves, they want to love their people, and they want to love their day-to-day experience. And they want to go do cool, meaningful shit out in the world. So yeah, welcome back. Today, we're going to talk about action as in taking action. For context, in episode five, I introduce you to IDA or IDA, which is the simple framework that I use to help people create lasting transformation in their lives. And we dug deep into the I part of IDA, which is identity. In episode six, we got all up in the D talking about desires. And then now in this episode, we're bringing it home with the A. For action. So this is a fun one because really once you get your ass moving, that's usually when you start to feel like a surge of momentum, which can be so fucking satisfying and really effective. It's when a lot of things start to flow. At the end of the episode, I'll give you some homework as per usual. But first, quick GCI for today as always. Today, I am grateful for my teachers and mentors. And this could be the ones I've worked with one-on-one as their clients. It could be the ones where I've been in their masterminds or group programs. I've taken their online programs or even just read their books, listened to their podcasts, follow them on social media, whatever the format may be. They're largely, I mean, they vary, but they're largely female entrepreneurs just because that's what I can relate to the most. And they've created these lives and businesses that look like the one that I want. And so I really look up to them as role models and teachers and coaches and mentors and as uh, expanders, which if you haven't heard that term before, it's a great one. Expander and all credit goes to, at least as far as I know, to a gal named Lacey Phillips, who has a company called, I believe it's called To Be Magnetic. Uh, She's a manifestation teacher who teaches from the perspective largely of neuroscience, which I think is really cool. But she talks about expanders as people who just help you see what's possible, especially in the realm of what you actually want. So it's like every time you find an expander, at first they may trigger you, they may make you super jealous, but that trigger and that jealousy can be such an interesting portal to not just identifying a desire, but starting to collect evidence that, hey, this thing that you want, it's actually possible. And then the more expanders you find, especially in those lanes, the more evidence you're collecting that what you want is possible. And then you start being able to wrap your brain around the idea of it being possible for you, et cetera, et cetera. So 
that's usually where I'm putting my time when it comes to the stuff I'm consuming. Anyway, so grateful for my teachers and mentors of all kinds. That was deep. Let's go with something a little more surface for the next one. Um, I'm celebrating Hollywood movies. Chris and I went and saw Air last night. And we also went to that theater that's close to us that has like the super comfy seats that you can hit the button and you it turns into like a chaise lounge. Chaise lounge? I never know how to say that. And I'm just, I can't sit in like a normal chair for very long without my knees hurting. So being able to lean back and put my legs up is like the best thing in the world. It's such a creature comfort and sitting there and watching a movie with all that. Oh, it's just so, so great. I just love Hollywood movies. Like sometimes I get a little embarrassed. I'll have friends who are really into like super intellectual artsy movies, many of which I appreciate, um, but I just don't enjoy them as much. Like I just love a straight up high budget, usually not always great, but like the big Hollywood movies with A-list cast and like happy endings and they're inspiring. It's kind of a guilty pleasure, but I'm just owning it. So Air was one of those. I loved it. Highly recommend Let's see my eye. My intention lately is to practice making decisions from where I'm going, like my future self, rather than where I am right now. I would say by default, most of us make our current, like we make decisions in our daily lives based on our past, which sounds logical, but it can be very limiting because we make decisions based on what we've done so far. And we also very unconsciously make decisions based on all of our fears, limiting beliefs, trauma conditioning, all those kinds of things. So rather than repeating old patterns, many of which weren't helpful, I would rather make decisions from a place of a future self who is more aspirational, who's wiser, who's stronger, who's more experienced, and from the place of where I want to be rather than where I've been. I talk a lot about the the practice of embodying future self and how helpful of a tool I think that is. It's something I work on a lot in a practice that I recommend. But I think typically when I'm talking about that I'm mostly meaning it in like a mental, emotional, and energetic way. So you're embodying the version of yourself in your mind. You're not necessarily taking the action that your future self would take because oftentimes it's just not appropriate, right? Like let's say, silly example, but let's say you make $20,000 a year and your future self has an eight-figure business and you want to go out and show up as that version of you, you're not going to actually go out and you know spend $100,000 on a designer bag when you're making $20,000 a year, obviously. So it's like, you're not actually taking action necessarily from that place, but you're mentally, emotionally, spiritually, energetically putting yourself in the mindset of the kind of person who would get to that place. And how can you show up now? But one thing I'm playing with now is not just the mental, emotional, energetic embodiment of future self, but also like how can I actually take some physical action and make decisions from that place, which might involve getting a little out of the comfort zone and taking some risks and taking some bold action and being scared and acting anyway. But it's coming from a place, at least for me, what I'm talking about is for me, it's choosing to believe so boldly and fiercely in myself and my dreams that I'm willing to bet on both of those, which is scary and exciting. On to today's episode. Part one. So quick recap of IDA, especially the identity and desires piece. If you go back to episode five, you'll get the full explanation. But in essence, IDA stands for identity, desires, and action. And it's all about getting more clear on all of those so that you're creating your life from a more authentic place, not from the shoulds and the supposed tos, which is like basically not necessarily a recipe for disaster. That sounds dramatic, but a recipe for misalignment and frustration and feeling like something is missing, feeling unfulfilled. 
And honestly, it's that's what most people do without even realizing it. Like Chris and I have been talking about this lately, like ignorance can be bliss in this sense. When you don't know what you don't know, you don't really know that you miss it. And once you see this, once you start cultivating some self-awareness and you recognize that there's more and you recognize that there's a different way to be, it's like hard, kind of hard to unsee, which means that might bring challenge and pain. It might highlight the cost and yeah, the sacrifices or what's missing. And it might feel painful to recognize like the opportunity cost, like what, wow, like my potential that I'm not living up to, et cetera. However, I think it's so worth it to be on a more aligned path. And even though self-awareness is like a spicy little meatball, sometimes it's a delicious one if you're willing to stay the course. So I will always, always, always fight for anyone who's open to it and willing to move in the direction of authenticity and alignment. And that of course comes back to who are you? What do you want? And let's get you there. So we've talked about identity in those previous episodes, like your true essence, which could include things like knowing your core values. What are some of your strengths, your passions? What are the quirks and the weird things that make you, you just owning the shit out of that. It could look like looking into different personality typing systems and aspirational future self type exercises to get more clear on not just who you really are at your core, but who you aspire to be. Who are you stepping into? What is the next level of you? You can use tools like astrology and human design and Enneagram, disc profiles, et cetera, if they're helpful. Um, side note, if you happen to know your human design, share it with me. I would love to know. I'm, I'm nerding out more and more on that and I'm still a beginner, but I know most of, I know my chart kind of, and I'm starting to know the charts of some of my people. So um, always looking for opportunities to learn, even if you just know your, your main energetic type and maybe your profile. I'm a, a two, four generator for anyone who's curious. Anyway, so we looked at identity and then we looked at desires, which includes things like your goals, your dreams, big ones, small ones, tangible, intangible, especially I'm always interested in how do you want to feel thinking about it as a direction, as something to aim at, which is just really helpful when you're navigating your life instead of like bipping and bopping around with no direction and just like bumping into walls, kind of having a general aim at something. And then you can just course correct along the way as you get more and more clear. And side note, lots of side notes today. It's so okay if you don't know your, your D, your desires. You don't have to wait for clarity. Like I think it's really tempting to use that as an excuse to not act. And we sit there and we're like, well, I'd go after what I want, but I don't know. So I'm just going to sit here and, you know, feel bad and feel frustrated. And I so get it. I've so been there. I have so much compassion for it. And don't wait for clarity. Just start, start where you are and do what you can with what you have, because that's part of what will get you the clarity that you seek if you don't have it yet. So lots more on that to come. More clarity on identity and desires equals more flow. You'll find that as you not just get clear on, but start to honor those parts of yourself more and more, instead of swimming upstream, it feels more like you're floating downstream. It's much less tiring. It's much more energizing and it's like really trippy. And if you've been through some of this work or if you've done your own work, if you worked with me or whatever, like it's just like kind of a trippy, cool, way more pleasant, way more fun like an easefulness. You're like going with the truth in a way. You're going with what feels like natural for you. So things start to kind of feel right. You start to feel more comfortable in your own skin. You don't have to force things as much. Or what I find really liberating is you don't have to rely as much on willpower and like discipline. Not that those are bad. I think they're great and can be helpful in the right context. But it's like when you're genuinely excited by it and lit up, 
by who you are, who you're becoming, what you want and what you're going after, there's so much more natural motivation and determination and drive. Like you're actually excited to get up and work towards your things rather than being like, ugh, I have to go do blank or I should. So it's kind of like this brilliant success hack to get more clarity on those things. And I find that people start noticing more synchronicities in their life as they get into more and more alignment. It's like things start to fall into place and, and these like cool little serendipities start to happen. Like you're, you just start thinking about something that you want or need. And then someone reaches out and offers you that exact thing. And you're like, Whoa, feels magical. Okay. Part two. So let's talk about unhelpful action before we talk about helpful action, which is what I'm really excited about. Let's talk about unhelpful action and where it comes from. By unhelpful action, I mean basically what like most of us tend to do until we realize that it's not that helpful. So what are most of us actually doing that's not helpful? I think that most of us understand that to get from A to B in our lives, we generally need to do stuff, right? Physical things in the world, this could include our words, our actions, our habits, behaviors. You know, it's like things like emails and meetings, talking to people, submitting stuff, going places. Like We close the gap between where we are and where we want to go by taking action. For example, Let's say in your career, you're wanting to move forward, climb the ladder. So maybe you focus on getting more education, gaining more skills. You're applying to jobs. You're going to interviews. You are climbing the ladder. You are following the roadmap that society gave us for how to do a career. Maybe you're working on your love and dating categories. So some of the actions you take are like, go out, meet people, get on the apps, go on dates. If you're working on your money, your wealth, maybe you're like, I got to work more, get a new job, increase my income, invest, save, budget, et cetera. You want to be healthier. Maybe you're like, okay, I got to eat well, exercise, hydrate, learn more about my body, figure out what healthy habits are. So you're right, taking action, moving from A to B. That's all fine and good. We generally require actions to move from A to B, and we can create a lot of really great results just by taking actions. However, (laughs) here here's where things get tricky. Like once you start looking more closely at at what is actually driving those actions, this is where it's much less clear because a lot of what's driving our actions is very hidden in our subconscious. It can be sneaky little beliefs and thoughts and emotions that we're not consciously aware of, but that are straight up running the show from behind the scenes. If you've seen the movie Inside Out, the I think it's Pixar, the animated one, where there's like all these little characters inside the little girl's brain. There's like the sad one and the angry one and the happy one. And that's such a brilliant depiction because a lot of the time, you know, we're just going about our life and doing our action. We're not realizing the action that we're taking is very driven, driven by some subconscious belief that we're not even aware of. And of course, a lot of that came from our childhood conditioning, the programming that we received possibly from very well-intentioned sources. Uh, We received it, you know, especially ages zero to seven, we're like these little sponges. Maybe it was trauma. Maybe it was things that our parents or our people or caretakers very specifically told us. Maybe it was just what was modeled for us and what we saw. But so much of that is like makes up the fabric of what is driving your actions and we don't even realize it. So we'll talk a lot more about these in the future. These are some of my favorite topics, but just for the context of today, I just want to touch on like why, basically why should we give a shit? Why does that matter? Because like you're just taking your action, like you get from A to B, what's the big deal? However, the drivers behind your actions, they could be potentially very disempowering. They could be potentially very unhealthy and maybe even harmful 
But regardless, they might be creating some very serious misalignments, which takes away from our ability to create, again, that life that is like in more flow, more ease, more true to who we are. So some examples of where things can go just so wrong. One, one way that things can go wrong is like looking at the why behind your taking an action. It may be total habit, like totally unconscious. You actually have no idea. Like if someone was like, why, why are you doing that thing? Why do you do that thing every day or every week? You're like, literally don't know. Maybe it's just never actually occurred to you to not do that thing. It's just like, it's just what people do or like, it's what your parents did. An example could be, let's say you're a parent and you're parenting and you're just doing the thing day-to-day life. And you really have no idea how to support a child's emotional development in a healthy way. Because, you know, like you have a normal job, like this isn't your area of expertise, but like it hasn't occurred to you to go learn about that because it's not even on your radar. So you just literally do whatever your parents did, or you just watch what your friends who are a couple of years ahead are doing and do that. And you might get lucky, but the results might be maybe not ideal. You know, like maybe you're passing on a pattern of what your parents modeled for you, that their parents modeled for them, that is leading to a lot of dysfunction that you're not even aware of. Right. And that's not to say that like, not saying that to shame any of us or blame anyone. It's just recognizing a very common thing that happens when we're taking action purely out of habit. It's like when we're leading an unexamined life, again, it's like ignorance is bliss. But if we're taking action just because it's just what we do and it hasn't occurred to us not to do it, it might be worth looking at. Another driver might be if the action is coming from a should or a supposed to or a societal expectation, which I would say is like most of us most of the time. It's all the people pleasing. Maybe you're doing something not because it's an actual desire. You just, you, you don't want to, you don't want anyone to be mad at you or you don't want them to get annoyed or you don't want them to feel inconvenienced. These are personal examples. If you weren't clear, or maybe you're trying to prove yourself or impress people. Like it's basically feeding an ego need. It's like, you don't even want the thing. You just want people to think that you're the kind of person who could do that. And again, in all these situations, the result might be very misaligned. Like when you have mostly unconscious intentions driving your actions, the results you end up with might be very misaligned compared to what you actually want. I would say it's generally not a recipe for happiness. Let's say another example would be you become a doctor to appease your parents because they come from a family of doctors. And you know, people in your peer group also chose medicine because it's what responsible kids of these parents do, but you hate it and you're miserable. Like, is that worth it? And I see so many examples where folks end up in some sort of, and nothing against medicine, like I'm eternally grateful to many doctors out there doing great work. And it, some people love it. It's like their absolute dream job and they're doing amazing work. And then maybe there are a handful who are doing it because it's literally just what their parents told them to do. And then maybe they would love to get out of it, but they feel stuck because of, you know, have all these years of education. Like I can't waste that. Another place that things can go really wrong when it comes to the drivers of our actions is our mindset while we're taking action. Like the way you think about and talk to yourself while you're doing a thing actually really matters. It's easy to think that it doesn't, but it so does. Like think of something like uh, perfectionism where you're maybe you're working really, really hard but you chronically feel like you're never good enough. So you're always working hard to try to make it better, but you know that you're never going to be good enough because you have such such high standards. You just, you can't possibly reach whatever your obscure definition of perfection is. And it's just not a 
pleasant journey. A, like you're punishing yourself the whole time. You're panicking that you might fail. You're worried that you might get laughed at. And while you may be doing whatever work you're doing, the stress hormones and chemicals that your brain is releasing while you're in this heightened state, not great, not helpful, not pleasant. Or maybe you're taking action from a place of urgency and pressure. I'm sure we all have some people in our lives with like this chronic frantic energy, which the impact of that can, it's kind of really hard to be around. It can be pretty unpleasant to be around. It can be really stressful for the people around that person. And that person may be completely unaware. It's one of the gifts of self-awareness is once you are aware of how you're showing up, you can also become aware of your impact on the people around you and decide if that's aligned with what you want or if you want to change it. Or if let's say it's you and you're the one who's always working under pressure and urgency the impact of that on yourself might be that it's just fucking exhausting. You might be driving people away. You might be risking your health. Is there such thing as healthy urgency? Absolutely. Like focus, commitment, like let's fucking go, you know? But I think oftentimes the kind of pressure that many of us are taking action, like from that place is often the unhelpful, very unhealthy kind. Or maybe your your driver for your action is imposter syndrome such a popular one, like you're working hard, but you're constantly drowning in fear of being found out as a fraud. You might produce great, excellent work, but you're like terrified. And it's coming from this place of fear and this desperate need to prove yourself. Like that is not pleasant. That is not healthy. That is not empowering. Another place that things can go wrong is the way that you're taking action, how you're acting while you're acting. Kind of like how I was saying, the, the, the way you talk to yourself and the way you think about things while you do them matters. The way you do things while you do things matters. Ideally, for me personally, the way I want to show up, the way I want to take action is from a grounded, calm, present place. Definitely not always the case, but that would be what I'm striving for. I think so many of us, we're taking action, but it's perhaps ineffective or we're like so scattered or we're distracted. We're, you know, not only do we have 27 tabs open either on our screen or in our brain, but we're switching tabs like every five seconds. So we're not actually doing any one thing well. We're just half-assing 1 million things and we're like a deer in headlights. Another way things can go wrong is literally just volume, how much action we're taking. I think I personally think that many of us are doing way too much. You see how much anxiety and stress people are dealing with, overwhelm. Like we have way too much on our plates. We're scattered, we're burned out. And I think a lot of that just has to do with, we have these like primal brains and nervous systems and we're trying to do so much more than is actually, than, than we're equipped to handle. So it makes sense that we snap and break and get sick and things happen. I'm making this all sound like pretty awful and dramatic and it totally, but it like, it really can be right. And it's also, it's so common. It's very understandable. And so much of it is really not our fault because we're just not taught how to do things differently. The good news though, of course, is that we can absolutely improve on these things once we become aware. So here again, is that like the magic of (laughs) self-awareness? It sounds trite, but it's so true. It's pretty hard to change something if we're not aware of it. So we think about like, okay, well, why? So we're doing all these things for like shitty reasons. <laughs> all these drivers behind our actions are not helpful and many are harmful and many are unhealthy and they're certainly disempowering. So why do we do things the way we do them? Why, why, are, why do we make things so much harder on ourselves than we need to be? And I think a lot of it is nature. A lot of it is nurture. You know, we're all wired so differently. 
I think genetics can play a huge role in this for anyone who nerds out on such things. Like I'm getting more and more interested in epigenetics and how genes can be switched on or off by your environment. And then things can be passed down, like how trauma can be passed down in generations. Clearly not my lane because I'm probably not articulating it like accurately or well, (laughs) but I think it's fascinating. And I think it's going to be a field of study that's going to grow and grow. Good news on that front is like we have neuroplasticity. Our brains can change our and, and our bodies can heal. But like the phrase that pops into mind though is neurons that fire together, wire together. Joe Dispenza and everything around growth mindset with Carol Dweck, two great names to look up if you're into this stuff. Like we spent a lot of our human history thinking that we just like, you are what you're born with. And it turns out that's completely wrong. We can totally change our our brains and we can do a lot to heal our bodies. And so much of it has to do with awareness and recognizing that we can and choosing to do something about it and being intentional about what we do with our minds and our bodies, our emotions, our actions. Nature definitely plays a role, but then nurture, obviously such a big thing. And this is where I focus more our conditioning, our programming, like what our caretakers and parents modeled for us. I think what I'm most interested in is not, not even what they specifically said to us or how they consciously decided to raise us, you know, like, oh, raise my kids to be this way or this way, whatever they were consciously and intentionally doing is one thing, but so much of what had the impact is what they were unconsciously and unintentionally doing, which is just what they were modeling. It wasn't their words. It was their energy. It was their, the dynamic between our parents or how they talked about other people. So for example, let's take a mom who maybe she was always criticizing her own body. She was criticizing other people's bodies. She was obsessing about being skinny. She was restricting her diet. She was exercising to punish herself, right? So then the daughter, even if the mom never specifically said anything to the daughter about here's what you should believe about health and wellness and bodies, the daughter's watching the mother and the daughter forms a belief that she needs to be skinny, to be loved and worthy, and that everything related to food and exercise is a struggle. She probably mostly unconsciously copies those patterns, restricts, punishes, criticizes herself, judges others, judges herself, feels shitty, develops a lot of shame and guilt around food and exercise. And I think we see enough evidence all around us in our society that this is a huge, huge problem. And the striking thing is that often it's so completely unconscious Like parents are often so unaware of the impact that they're having on their kids. They're literally just repeating habitual patterns that have been passed down again and again. Another example would be like, and these are very like stereotypical examples, but bear with me. A father works super hard, just like his dad did. And just like his dad's dad did. He learned to grind because that's what a real man is supposed to do to provide for his family. He's got to prove himself. He's got to make the money. Great intentions noble pursuit, but then the unintended consequences might be that he ends up actually neglecting the very family that he was working so hard to provide for. And maybe he provides financially, but was not actually available like physically (laughs) or emotionally. So he neglected them in the areas that might have mattered most without even realizing it. And then also maybe he was sleep deprived and stressed and his health suffered He neglected his own fun and passions and those things withered and he feels disconnected from people and himself. 
but it keeps on grinding just because that's what people do. And so the son watches the dad and he forms the belief that success and prestige and money are what matter. You got to work hard and that work is hard and men should be tired and busy and stressed to be worthy. So he just carries that on and he grinds. And of course, our society basically still encourages this. Or, and I find this example always really like delightfully interesting. Sometimes instead of just unconsciously copying what our parents or caretakers modeled for us, we rebel against them and do like the exact opposite. We watch them or we're like, hell no, (laughs) we do something that is on the opposite end of the spectrum. For example, let's say that the parents were total hippies and then the kids are like, "Mm -mm," and they end up being very straight-laced, traditional, corporate, normal. Or maybe the parents were very conservative and successful and the kids are like rebel and alternative everything. So I think it tends to be so fascinating. We either kind of copy unconsciously or we do the opposite. And I'm sure there's in between too. Anyway, cycles repeat and we pass on this programming until we actually kind of notice and pause and are able to pattern interrupt. And then that's when we realize that we have a choice and we can chart our own path. We develop more self-awareness. We start to notice how we're thinking and feeling and what our patterns are. We start to be more conscious and intentional. So just like with identity and desires, part of the work, I believe, is releasing the old programming, which can look like healing from trauma and conditioning programming that created these unhelpful tendencies around how we show up and what actions we take and why. It can be learning that it's safe to do things our own way and like actually much better and healthier for us to choose intentionally rather than just being on autopilot. It can look like learning to feel safe in our own bodies, regulating our nervous systems. We'll talk a lot more about that later too. I want to bring in some cool guest experts in that area. Shedding attachments to old beliefs and stories and conditionings, which oftentimes can happen simply with awareness. As soon as somebody becomes aware that they're operating on autopilot because of XYZ in the past, sometimes that's enough of a pattern interrupt to wake someone up and they're like, oh my gosh, that is not even mine. I do not want it. I'm letting it go. Bye, Felicia. And then other times, of course, it can take a lot of work because it might involve a lot of much deeper harsher trauma and deep, more deeply ingrained things and everything in between. But the beauty is that the healing and the releasing of all of that can start with awareness. And then that awareness can create space for us to learn and decide like, how do we actually want to show up in the world and what kind of action do we want to take? I really believe that there's no need here to beat ourselves up or waste time regretting the past or wishing it was different or blaming our parents or blaming society or any of that. Like, it's just not, I mean, do what you need to do, but it's just not helpful to me. It's like, sometimes it can feel really good (laughs) to like vent or be bad at someone. Jen Sincero in one of her books, she's the author of You Are a Badass. She says something like, it's not your fault that you're fucked up, but it's your responsibility to change it. And I believe that like so much, everyone is just doing the best they could with what they had in the moment. And so let's not blame others. Let's not even like waste time blaming or beating ourselves up. Like, ah, I should have done this six months ago or a year ago. I wish I had, this had been different 10 years ago. You can change how you think about the past, but you can't change the past. You can change your relationship to the past. So focus on those things. Focus on the, the, the mindset, the emotions, the healing. Let's not waste a bunch of time just like living there and regretting it. I really think it's most empowering to just notice, become aware, do the work to heal and release, and then powerfully step into the future. Start making new choices with your awareness instead of wasting time dwelling on the past. Part three. Okay, so long preamble, but here we go on helpful action. So 
if all of that was unhelpful action and like what drives us to take all this unhelpful action and all this past programming and it's so annoying. So what does helpful action actually look like? As we release these old unhelpful tendencies and we stop just like repeating what our parents did and we start to create space and get curious and decide how we want to take action, like what would the real me do? What would my higher self do as opposed to like, what should I do? Or like, I don't know, just what, what do people generally do? Like when we start taking action, that's much more conscious and less unconscious. It feels so different. It feels empowering. It feels satisfying. There's a feeling to living your life on purpose and being in charge versus just randomly reacting to shit that's like coming at you. So helpful action. What does that actually look like? Okay. One more side note. Here's an observation that I find really fascinating. And, and I'm curious if you resonate with either of these, I see this definitely in my clients and in myself and in friends and just people around us when it comes to taking action. If you were to like put yourself in one of these two buckets, I'd be curious which one. So and this is about like what kind of action you're taking or what kind of person you are. So bucket one is, and this is me, this would be like the perfectionists, the overthinkers, you you hesitate, there's a fear of failure. You maybe are like cautious or kind of careful. You like to stay in your comfort zone. You like to play small, play safe. You're the kind of person that's like, oh, I want to, you know, I'll do that thing. But like, let me just like research some more. You're perpetually waiting to be ready, which like newsflash, we never really are. And then there's the other, other category, which is like the doers. I picture like a like an A-type New Yorker in my head when I think of this archetype. They're the go-getters. They're super busy. They're the folks who you ask them like, oh, how are you? How was your weekend? They're like, ah, so busy. <laughs> you know, where they're like, they wear busyness and productivity as a badge. If they're stressed and haven't slept enough, like that means they're valuable in the world. And a lot of them are like, go, 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 do, do, do. And they're taking all this action, but it, the action they're taking is not necessarily very intentional. It's not strategic. Oftentimes, or at least sometimes, I only learned this kind of in recent years, but that kind of busyness can be a trauma response where it's like a fear of stillness and a fear of being with your own thoughts and a fear of being with your own emotions and being with stillness and quiet. And so it's like, go, 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 do, 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 do. It's just like a, a chronic distraction mechanism. <laughs> Or I think for some of these humans too, it's like literally just habit. It's just what they've always done. So never occurred to them to not do, 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 do. And in both of these cases, the like those of us who are frozen in time or analysis paralysis, we're like, let me just do some more research or the go-go-goers. Both of both categories, we do a lot better when we take these types of more helpful action that I'm going to list out for you in a second. And by the way, this is definitely not a comprehensive list. These are just like some of my favorite ways to describe the action that I think is more helpful. First one is inspired action. Inspired action to me means that it's coming from your authentic identity and desire. So just like everything we've been talking about up until now, inspired action will probably excite you. Like you're like, oh, I want to go do this thing. And you go do this thing. It doesn't feel like a should. Like to me, a should or a supposed to feels it's like my body wants to contract down. It feels kind of heavy. It feels kind of gray and blah. Whereas inspired action, I'm like, oh, my eyes light up. My eyes get bigger. I sit up a little taller and I lean forward as opposed to collapsing in and leaning back. And this is like, it's an inside out approach instead of an outside in approach. So with inspired action, you are deciding what you want and going after it versus an outside in approach, which is the world telling you what to want and to go do. And instead of 
people pleasing, which same thing is like that outside in approach where you're needing validation and approval and like oversight for every action you're going to take. And you're like, Oh, I want to go do this, but you know, is this person going to improve or what do they think I should do? The action you take is a way just to manipulate people's perception of you. It's like the, the shadow side of people pleasing. Instead, inspired action actually gets you excited. It's so much more fun. Inspired action also often shows up as intuitive nudges. Like you, you just get this hunch. You're like, oh, I don't really know why that's not actually super logical, but like feels kind of fun. I'm going to go do it. Those kinds of ideas are some of my favorite to act on. Like they feel divinely inspired. They're like otherworldly sometimes. Huge fan of inspired action. The next one is aligned action, meaning it's in line with you, with your core values, your goals, your, it's an expression of your authentic self. So very much aligned with your identity and desires. It's also a great antidote to the shoulds and the conditioning. It's kind of like if it's not in integrity for you or aligned with who you are, like it's just a no. And when you start committing to taking more aligned action, it makes it much much easier to say no to the action that's not aligned, which just feels so much more solid to be in integrity than to be out of integrity and doing something that doesn't feel like it's aligned. Very empowering. It's like where you just, you kind of stand tall because you're being true to yourself. Another kind of action I love is imperfect, messy action. So this is great for overcoming imperfectionism, which, oh man, I know we talk about it a lot, but it really is like one of the huge blockers that I see for so many of us, like that fear of failure. And it's a fear of looking stupid. It's imposter syndrome. It's those high standards, like you're never good enough. So I'm just going to keep, you know, editing this one thing over and over and over and over which slows us down so much and creates so much unnecessary tension and stress inside of us. And man, imperfect, messy action instead of this like endless striving for perfection. It's also really helpful when it comes to overcoming procrastination, which I know is another super popular one because it's it's one of the most common things I see pop up in people. Procrastination can be like this chronic distracting of ourselves because we're caught in a loop of avoidance. We're like doing endless research or, you know, doing endless cleaning around the house instead of tackling that one important task that's actually going to move the needle. And the cool thing about imperfect messy action is like you, you learn so much faster by doing and failing and testing and experimenting than just research, like research as beneficial as it can be. Research can often be a procrastination technique. It's like a way of avoiding shame. It's a a way of avoiding our fear of shame by actually turning the thing or doing the thing. We just want to stay in the safe zone of iterating or like, like spinning around in circles. Perfectionism and procrastination are interesting because they're, they're very similar they're both not helpful. Uh, I heard a phrase somewhere, I'm probably going to butcher it, it, was something like perfectionism is like procrastination's glamorous older sister. So do it messy, do it imperfectly. Progress is so much better than perfect. Consistency is where it's at. That's what really creates results. It's not like getting one thing so perfectly right. I really believe that imperfect action is generally almost always better than perfect inaction. That's such a great one. Definitely can't take credit for it. Don't know who said it, but imperfect action, better than perfect inaction. Like write that down on a sticky note. So iterate, 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 fail fast, learn fast, fail forward. The more you take imperfect action, the more intel you get, just more information, more clarity. 
so that you can be course correcting as you go. And, but the great thing is it builds momentum and confidence and energy. And so many of us who are sitting here being like, but I don't know what I want. Like, just go take action. And then that action will help you figure out next steps. Another type of action that I love is out of your comfort zone type of action. So for those of us who are really good at staying safe and playing small and we're, you know, just, it's so human of us. Like one of our biggest fears is the unknown. And it's understandable as a survival thing from back in the day. But where we start to get out of the comfort zone is like, that's where the magic happens. I would say for, unless you're pretty bold and confident and you're used to it, don't go so far out of your comfort zone that you go into like the panic zone where you just absolutely freeze and like run back in the cave and never want to leave again. But doing things that are aligned for you with who you are and what you want and doing them scared builds courage, it builds confidence, which is so key. So you're cultivating courage. You're feeling scared, but doing it anyway, because it feels right. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be bold. Bold for you might be tiny, but getting out of your comfort zone little by little. The cool thing is not only do you take way more actions, you make way more progress, you learn more. So you learn faster. So you progress faster. Let's say you get out of your comfort zone just a little bit each day, like a couple months down the line, your comfort zone will be so much bigger than it was than when you started. You could call it like a just do it energy saw that air movie last night. So I'm like thinking Nike, so we should just just do it. But for those of us who are prone to overthinking or hesitating or second guessing, there is so much that gets lost in the time that we spend second guessing something. You have an urge, you're about to go take some action, and then you start to hesitate, which kills a lot, kills a lot of possibility, kills a lot of potential progress. We get so scared and we want to be safe and we want to watch somebody else go first. But like, you literally won't know until you try with so many things. You can't think your way there. You can't just watch other people do it. You have to experience it yourself. That's where the magic is. So it's like, so try it, but seriously, just do it. (laughs) You know, just start, take the first step. The thing with that, just do it kind of action is that it absolutely requires cultivating self-trust because you are battling all of your internal resistance. Your whole body wants you to run back in the cave. But the more that you trust that you'll figure it out, the more that you trust like the path will unfold while you're on it, even if you don't know what it looks like, trust that you can course correct, trust that you can apologize if you fuck it up, trust that you can clean up whatever mess you make and trust that it's all learning and it's all growth, but like you've got to start somewhere at some time. A great tool here is the five second rule by Mel Robbins. She's got a book. It's at the tail end of one of her TED talks. It's exactly what it sounds like. You feel an urge. You want to go do something. Let's say you are, you see a cute human at the other end of the bar and you want to go talk to them because you're working on your dating life and you're like, oh, I want to go talk to them. But within seconds, all of your limiting beliefs show up and convince you to not, don't do that. You're going to make fool of yourself. She instead is like, Countdown from five, go five, four, three, two, one, and then just start walking. Trust yourself to figure it out. Walk up to the person and just make words come out of your mouth. Like you might fail, that's okay. So just do it, energy is great. And then then another one of my classic favorites is baby steps. Sometimes big leaps are great. I'm a huge fan for big, scary leaps for the right person at the right time. I would say for most of us, most of the time, that's not it. Baby steps are the way. Like tiny baby steps, 
all add up. So they definitely count. I think we, we tend to poo poo them because they're like, oh, that's so small. It's not gonna make a difference, but it so makes a difference. It all adds up like incremental upgrades over time, tiny little 1% shifts. One of my mentors says, get 1% better each day. And it's so true. Like just start. That's also baby steps. Taking baby steps is also a great way to deal with overwhelm. Like when you're just deer in headlights and the the task or the project in front of you feels so big and important, or there's just too much is the trick there is just to break it down into the tiniest, tiniest baby steps where you find one that has zero energetic charge. Like it feels almost stupidly easy. So then you just go do it, but then that creates momentum. So recap of those in case you want to write them down, inspired action, aligned action, imperfect, messy action, out of your comfort zone action, just do it, energy action, and baby steps. Quick recap. In today's episode, I shared my GCI and then part one was a quick recap of IDA and identity and desires. And then part two was talking about unhelpful action, like where things just go so wrong, what drives these types of action, like nature, nurture, how we're wired so differently, our conditioning was modeled for us. Part three, helpful action. Like what kind of action can we take instead on purpose, intentionally to close the gap? That's way more conscious. Releasing old unhelpful tendencies, clear that space. And then working with our awareness, choosing inspired, aligned, messy, bold, scared action, baby steps, getting out of our comfort zones. Fail and learn and grow and rinse and repeat. This is where concepts like having a growth mindset, again, plug for Carol Dweck and her book mindset, or just that concept in general. It feels so much better when we just give ourselves permission to grow and learn and act and just do stuff, try it. So your homework, should you choose to take it on, is to look back at your desires list from the desires episode or just you know write out a desires list right now if you didn't do that and then identify some action items that you can take to fit these more helpful types of action types of criteria. So ideally it would be like five or, five or 10 little baby steps that are aligned with your authentic identity and your aligned desires, and then to actually go take, take them. So look at your desires list, identify some actions, go take action, and then feel free to report back if you want. If you get stuck, message me. I would love to help you brainstorm and help you find a few things to commit to, and then you can follow up and let me know how it went. Accountability is huge. I'm going to walk my own talk on this one, actually. So I was like, shit, I should give myself some homework too. So one example of a desire that I'm working on is to be a guest on other podcasts. I've done maybe like 15 shows or so in the past. I would like to do way more, but I have not been doing anything to make that happen. So I'm going to call myself out and some of the action items I'm going to take are make a list of shows that I'm interested in that are aligned, define a simple process for reaching out to them start reaching out to them, like let's say five at least. And then once I've got my process down, I'll probably outsource that to a VA. So I'm committing to that. Feel free to hold me accountable and ask me how it's going and uh, give me a little kick in the booty if I'm not doing it. Or if you happen to know any podcast hosts that you think have a show that would be aligned with my message, feel free to introduce me. I always love those connections. If this resonated and if this podcast has been helpful for you so far, please help us spread the love by rating and reviewing if you haven't yet, or just share it with a friend. Thank you so much for listening. I love you. I appreciate you. And I'll catch you in the next episode. Bye.